Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Thanks for tuning in to Power Your Life. And many of us follow what other people tell us about ourselves, whether it's been teachers or family members or, or friends or, or just comments from other people. And oftentimes we take those comments, we take those beliefs as truth. And then what happens is we begin to weave our lives and our whole belief system based on what we think are truth which may not be at all. We have an incredible man today, Larry Peacock, who's a doctor, an MD, who has a story about what changed him and what kind of beliefs got him stuck in his own life. So Larry Peacock flunked out of eighth grade. He was kicked out of school, and he lived in poverty for most of his early life. Before the age 10, he had lived in 10 different apartments, projects, and had stayed in roadside motels. His father worked infrequently and was abusive towards both his mother and himself, who only completed an eighth grade education. At 20 years of age, Larry's close friend was murdered and his world fell apart. That was the point that Larry decided to make change in his life. He went from a life of violence, trauma, and poverty to being the vice chair of Manchester Memorial Hospital in Connecticut, Larry's also an educator, director of electroconvulsive therapy, and the medical director of outpatient service at Yukon Health Center. He's also a husband, a father, and an advocate for the underprivileged. Larry firmly believes that lives can and do change when we stop believing what others say and start believing in ourselves. Hello, Larry. How are you? Joanne, I'm well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I want people to get a little bit of the story. We have so much to cover, but I think that that it's like emerging from all of the challenges into taking charge of your life. I think that's a beautiful story that people can can stand behind and be inspired by. So would you share a little bit of that with us, Larry? Yeah, no. So I... um... Just like you had talked about, so I grew up in poverty, and, you know, poverty is a predictor for success in life, and people that grow up like that, they struggle, and they struggle in so many ways because you're defined by the system in which you're raised, and this narrative carries you, and when you begin to see yourself as less and you believe you're less, you can't even imagine ever going to college or being successful in relationships. It was well beyond anything I could imagine, and I, I always preface this when I talk about my history. I look back on my history with real compassion now, and compassion was part of the process for healing for me. And I look back on my mother and my father with real compassion because they too 
suffered considerably from their past. And my dad had a terrible narrative and a terrible history, so he was very limited. But he struggled with alcohol, and he struggled with trying to be the man that he wanted to be. So I don't, I don't, I don't hold anger. I really do love my father. My father passed. He's been gone for several years now. But I, I look back on him with real compassion and love because there were moments of love. But the thing I always get everybody to understand is you can't add up the good days and the bad days. They were good memories. But you've got to look at what are the principles of teaching. What did my father teach me? And he didn't teach me the skills I needed to be a healthy adult. He didn't teach me to take personal responsibility. He didn't teach me how to balance in my life, a commitment to truth. He didn't teach me how to delay gratification. So it was always about what you want and not what you need. So those were the skills I had to acquire later on. And then I had to come to the realization I could change my life by changing my story. And you change your story by stepping into these new roles and recognizing that you're not static. You're dynamic, and you create the person you want to be by the stories you tell. So that was the process by how I overcame everything. It wasn't easy, and it wasn't easy. I had to start really small. So I came out of um, high school. I did manage to get a high school diploma, but I didn't have the tools. So I literally, people ask me what was the most influential book for me. My first book that I started really committing myself was The Dictionary. And so I literally wrote down vocabulary words. I was doing roofing and vinyl siding, but I wrote down vocabulary words. And I wanted the tools to be able to converse and understand people with an education. So I started memorizing words. I started with the A's and the B's, and I worked through that. And then I got myself a coach. And having a mentor made a difference. I had somebody teach me how to write. And then I took some night classes, and I built from there. And then eventually I was able to go to college. And then I went to, uh, I got a master's in theology from Harvard Divinity. Then I went on to medical school. And, um, but it all began with a process of small steps and knowing that I could make these changes. You know, I think small steps are very important. And, and I'm smiling as you were telling the story. I used to, to fall asleep, I used to do the dictionary. I'd start with A. Awesome. <laughs> and, and look at the word, you know, make up, not choose real words and their meanings and, and go, you know, I never got to a certain letter or whatever, but it would help me. And I think, yeah, we have to, be, we don't always acquire the skills from, from family, even from, from the education. And so we have to help ourselves in whatever way we can. And you are a, a, an incredible example of that. I have a question because you do a lot of work with people coming from trauma. Obviously, you've had a trauma mm -hmm. with your friend dying and, and also being abused. That's traumatic. What do we mean by trauma? And let's talk about, let's do a definition of what that means first, and then, then we'll go on because there's, there's so much more about that that's important for people. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you talked about this because I think about this all the time. And we, I think we've done a great um, disservice for people. A lot of people experience or witness or see things that are so horrific and so terrifying that they feel like there's imminent threat to their own well-being. And that alone, when you kick into that response where you literally go into a panic mode, can be quite terrifying. It can change you. It can change you not only psychologically, but it can change even your health outcomes. So research has been coming out for the last decade that has consistently looked at young kids who had early exposure to trauma, witnessing violence in the home, um, being, being abused themselves, whether it was physical, sexual, um, emotional abuse. 
verbal abuse, it will change them, but it will change everything about their existence. It puts them at increased risk for incarceration, um, underemployment, unemployment, poor relationships, health outcomes, even things like asthma, things you wouldn't think about. The mind-to-body connection is amazing. So we're not just talking about PTSD and anxiety and depression. Trauma changes everything about a human existence. And so when I see adults coming in and they carry multiple different diagnoses, including things like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. And I'm not undercutting the idea that I think that there are multiple etiologies and pathways to it, but I think there's a vulnerability that's created by this lifetime of chronic stress that changes their, um, at a biological level, it changes them. And it creates this pattern of suffering. So um, doing trauma work is critically important for these people. Um, And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Trauma not only changes you, um, it changes you at the level of DNA. It changes your DNA expression. So the area of genetics is called epigenetics, and we're just beginning to learn a lot about behavioral epigenetics, but it gets passed on from generation to generation. And if, if you've been exposed to trauma, naturally you'd want to produce the necessary proteins and things to prepare you for life, and you'd want your offspring to have that. So we're changing not just biology, we're changing our DNA expression. So trauma okay, so changes wait, wait, everything. Let's go yep. back a little bit, okay, because so somebody experiences trauma yeah. at an early age, okay, or or maybe a multiple traumas, whatever, and then as they get yeah. older, they're exhibiting different symptom, symptoms that, that people, that, that get diagnosed differently, but not necessarily as trauma. My question is, okay, if that's what's happening, does it matter what age the onset of trauma is in terms mm. of being able to to change people and to move out out of that trauma? Because you're talking about how it how it changes at the DNA level. Yeah, great question. A um, couple a couple other points I wanted to make. Um, yes, it, it definitely matters. The age it matters. Early developmental trauma. When you were young during early attachment stuff, is definitely a vulnerable period. So attachment styles, how does a baby interact with its primary caregiver matters. So um, until that baby is secure and safe in this world, they don't have the resiliency and the tools to be able to navigate the world. So early developmental trauma does the most damage. If somebody's been through a lot and you've been raised in a healthy, loving family and the world feels safe and you've internalized that caregiver's sense that the world is okay, you will do better. So if something happened to you in your 20s, and all of us will experience something that could be potentially horrific and scary and dangerous in our lives, and most people, most people do really well. They don't develop PTSD. They develop what's called post-traumatic growth. Oftentimes they get um, insight, and they expand, and their world changes in ways that sometimes positive, which is shocking. But the kids with early trauma, early developmental trauma, the world is always unsafe, they're very vulnerable, and they don't have the tools to be resilient. So that early trauma matters. So if you raise your children and you protect your children, you nurture and love them, they're going to experience loss, but they're going to be able to handle it and do better. So yes, the the earlier the trauma, the more devastating it is. So let's say a child goes through this early trauma, does not get the support that we're talking about in terms of keeping making us making him or her feel safe and and loved and the world is supportive or whatever what happens mm-hmm. as they continue and they're they become adults is 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 that trauma since again we're talking about DNA is that trauma yeah. able to be changed i mean and and how do we how do we begin to change that if that's true 
Yeah, no, those those are great questions, true, uh, too. So um, children or any of us exposed to trauma, if it's unprocessed, it continues to live within us, and it lives in the area of the brain, the reactive area of the brain, the amygdala, until you become processed. It doesn't become part of your narrative and a part of your story. So if you can't talk about a story, if you're still triggered, if you hear a song on the radio or uh, a memory, anything gets triggers you and you get reactive and your reaction is disproportionate to the situation. Either it's too much or too little. You know you're going into a state of either uh, flight, fight, freeze. So um, you have to go into that. You have to process that. So doing good narrative, good trauma work, allowing a person to go through that memory and process that in a safe, contained way can allow them to have real healing. And then you take the trauma and you shift it from a place of uh, pain and suffering and uh, real reactivity to a place of wisdom. And a lot of us acquire wisdom in life once we process trauma. We can look back on that. So trauma can be better. It can be healed. And there's multiple different modalities that are being done. Um, what I'm really getting interested in a lot is um, even the idea of uh, mind-body stuff. And I'm seeing some people do some interesting stuff because the body seems to remember what the mind tries to forget. So um, I have patients coming all the time with multiple different somatic complaints. And it's oftentimes it's, it's rooted in the history of trauma. So not just looking at them as a disease, but looking at them as a symptom is a real curious orientation where you can get some really good insight. So people are doing some great stuff, but I'm, I'm seeing some wonderful stuff coming out of some trauma work these days. So, um, yeah, yeah, people can definitely find healing. And they can definitely get past that. And the other thing that I wanted to say is it's not just that. So that early trauma requires that they develop a healthy lifestyle attachment. So you may not get the healthy attachment when you're a kid and when the world feels safe, but you can develop healthy attachments as you get older. Um, Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes. And do very well when you start to feel safe and you're in a loving, nurturing relationship. And that person can become like a surrogate caregiver for you. So a healthy relationship later in life can help you develop that attachment style. Okay, um, but so work can be done, but yeah. Okay, so that's so that's good news. So so let's so if somebody was traumatized <clears throat> and yeah. didn't get the the healthy, nurturing, loving support from relationships, it they can and if they get it later on, it still helps them. Again, doing some work on on trauma, but it still helps them shift mm-hmm. and change, right? I I. Yeah. I I have something I want to share because I haven't shared this publicly. I actually fell down my stairs. I have a concussion that's healing, but I, and I do a lot of work with people and, you know, alternative, and I am noticing post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to use some of the techniques I use with my clients on myself, which I'm beginning to do, but it's fascinating because I'm looking at it <laughs> clinically, kind of, and, and yet it's, it, you know, I can see, wow, this is this is a trauma. This was an event that that every once in a while plays out in my mind. I don't know why I'm sharing it, but maybe you have some insight. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, that would have been and potentially very scary for somebody. And so you fell down a you fell down a flight of stairs. And Not then, a whole flight. I don't even know how many, but yeah. You still get credit. You still get credit. You had a concussion. It was a fall, and uh, <laughs> so the um, yeah, that'd be that'd be awful if you called me up and you're like, I fell down three steps. Doesn't count. Eight steps count. Um, <laughs> the um, but you experience um, significant trauma to the point of a concussion, and the fear was there. And at some level, you felt uh, maybe I could die or suffer severe bodily injury. Uh, are, you, are you triggered now when you so just that's seeing the stairs? Yeah, that's yeah. the 
And right now I'm walking. I usually fly downstairs, and right now I'm holding on and seeing, you know, like seeing what happened, and which happened so quickly. I'm not even don't even recall it. It's just that suddenly I was in the air, and suddenly I was on the floor, on a hardwood floor, and um, from my face. Yeah. It's 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 definitely amazing how uh, that stuff can impact us and affect us. Um, yeah, so processing that and going through that, you know, so there's different ways of doing it, but literally just kind of going through the original memory and seeing yourself go through that, but also um, um, exposure-based therapies, going down the stairs and not just rushing down the stairs, actually stopping on the stairs, allowing yourself to peak with your anxiety and knowing that you're not going to die and knowing that you're okay. And just when you think you're ready to get off the stairs, stay on the stairs a little longer. Get it to a point where it bores you. But sometimes going back into the original memory and oftentimes going back into the original memory matters because um, trauma hangs out, and it hangs out in ways that are hidden in us. But the only way through something, it's literally the only way to get through stuff is to go through it. You've got to go through it. You've got to go through it. I love your recommendations because that's exactly what I'm doing. So when people come to you and they've had this trauma and you said they really have to in some way go through it, re-experience it to be able to move past it, what if there's such resistance? I don't want to go to that memory. It's too painful. I can't you know, I've heard that. I mean, how do you, how do you I, work with that? I, I've heard that a lot, and I think it's been part of our narrative for a long time that we're afraid of re-traumatizing people. And I think it's been part of the teaching for a long time. So students, they hear from other preceptors and psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, that sometimes it's better to contain. There's a lot of focus on, on forward focus. Let's focus on skills that you can help you navigate the world today. Um, and I think it's because... We're scared of trauma, and we're here. And it's, sometimes it's traumatic for even being in the room with trauma. I, I'm quite comfortable with it now. I, I do very well with it, but I think it's scary for people. And if you don't feel like you have the tools to be able to sit with somebody who's going through that trauma, it's tough to watch them because they're literally experiencing it again right in front of us. You'll see the fear come in. You'll see all that sympathetic charge. You'll see them have all that anxiety, pain, suffering in front of you. So being able to be present and then knowing that you have the tools to guide them through that is important. But that's been a part of our teaching, and we've been doing it for a long time, and I think a lot of people aren't trained to do any sort of trauma work. We're trained to do supportive psychotherapy, and supportive psychotherapy, don't get me wrong, it's beneficial. It's about relationships. It's about the, that secure relationship, and you're offering support around things. But it doesn't get past trauma. And every time they come in, if they get triggered during the week, if you do just supportive therapy, you say, okay, I got it. You were triggered. And what are the things you could do the next time you get triggered? So we're teaching avoidance. We'll say, okay, so you got triggered. What could you do? Did you practice your breathing exercises? Did you listen to your music? Did you go for your walk? And so we're continuing to tell them there's danger. The boogeyman's there. Don't go near it. So we make it much scarier than it is. Uh, what I do is I go there and I give them comfort to know I've been through this. I've done it. So I know that we need to process this stuff to get it to a place of healing. But that isn't the teaching that's consistent. And oftentimes we tell people, we teach people all of these different traditions and ways of avoiding suffering. You need to sometimes, not sometimes, you need to face the things in life you don't want to face. The stuff you don't want to talk about, that's the stuff you need to bring into your therapy session. So it's a, it's a message that needs to be heard. You know, and I believe in that. I think that, that you do have to go through it, even though it may be painful and it brings up, like you said, all of the, the, all, all the symptoms again, all the, the, the repercussions of it. So I'm not sure. We have a 
few people. I'm not sure if they're here to ask questions. We're going to find out in a minute. Okay. Couple of questions. No, no, no. I'm okay. Questions. I won't be able to. I can't answer specific questions about their case. Like, um, right. you know, I can't. I can't give them any advice. No medication advice. Nothing that. But I can speak in general terms. If there's a general question about medications and stuff. Okay. Well, let's see. If the, hello, you're on the line. You're on the air. Want to listen? So we're going to let them listen. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. That's probably my, was... Oh, hi. Thank you. Um, I've been listening intently because I have severe PTSD, and I find it interesting that you say you have to kind of relive it over and over. I've done that. <laughs> well, also, I think if you're reliving it with with a professional, then you don't have to continue to relive it. You can you can heal it. Am I right, uh, Larry? Yeah. 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 So we. The problem is we we um, we relive trauma always. Um, we, we all of us are always living somewhat in the past. We have ways of navigating the world. We learn these ways of navigating the world from our childhood, but they need to be updated. But the thing with trauma, we're constantly reliving it, but never adequately processing it. So we're being triggered. Where and then, I had significant trauma. And I was triggered all the time. Things would come on the radio, TV, would make me nervous. And I was nervous of the other things that made me nervous, so I began to generalize my triggers. So my triggers were everywhere. So I was constantly reliving but never processing it, but just always feeling triggered and traumatized, but so scared to do the work. Um, you'll, you'll suffer until you process it. You need to find a really good – I'm speaking in general terms, but you really need to find somebody who's well-trained in doing trauma work, who knows how to do trauma therapy, and can help you safely um, walk through this and deal with this stuff and to get you to a place of healing. Because if not, the world feels unsafe, and the world gets smaller and smaller. Trauma doesn't make the world big in any way. It just makes it smaller. And so every time you get triggered, you get new triggers and new associations, and the world continues to get smaller. And oftentimes people get so small, they have a hard time even leaving the house because the world is so dangerous for them. So that's what kind of – I've been going probably to the wrong therapist because they just all sit there and they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, you, you ask what what Larry's saying is you really need to 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 work with someone who can help you move through it and 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 handle it, deal with it effectively, and not just somebody that says okay. So hopefully you'll connect with Larry or someone else that can help you so that you can move past it once you de- once you really deal with it and not have to continuously recreate it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you for the show. So there's so much going on, and this fascinates me too because um, there's so much information about how we can change our brain, how our thoughts, and how we can actually begin to open up new passageways, open up new ways of learning, even be able to heal some old challenges. Can trauma be dealt with in that same way with, and maybe we should define neuroplasticity a little bit, but is that something that you work with too? I'm asking a lot of questions. No, no, no. I, it's a, that's another great question. So everything is about neuroplasticity. All learning requires the brain to be changing. We used to think of the brain as fairly static, that we were hardwired. And don't get me wrong, there are things that are clearly hardwired in us that we needed from evolutionary pressure to allow this to occur. But the navigating of the world is always changing us. So when you're doing therapy, 
you're changing your brain. Therapy changes the brain, literally changes it. So neuroplasticity happens always. Um, but when you do trauma, you're changing your brain as well. You're changing your relationship to the trauma, you're processing it, and you're moving it to a place where it becomes part of just a memory. It becomes clear, linear, and logical. Trauma isn't linear and logical in any way. It's messy, it's ugly, it's scary. People don't even talk about it in an ordered way. When you talk about a memory that's semantic, something that's part of your just your story, you talk about it from the beginning to the end and it makes sense. When you talk about trauma, you bounce around. It doesn't make sense. It's not processed. But once you do that, you literally change your brain. So your brain's always changing. And so I get people to do um, goal-directed behaviors that change your brains in ways in which serve them. So mindfulness-based practices. That will strengthen your brain and that will strengthen the area of your brain, your frontal cortex, your prefrontal cortex. And it will allow you to dampen down some of that reactivity. Um, stepping into the roles that you want You'll create new pathways of learning, and it will change your brain. So when now we when talk about fake it, yep. Now, when you say stepping into the roles that you want will change your brain, how does how does that come about? Let's focus on so, there a little. Yeah, I what I do and what I've done in my life is I realized that if I wanted to do something, and it sounds so simple, but if I want to do something. I literally imagine it. So the brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and doing. So I start to visualize it, and I start to see myself, and I get really clear about what it is I want to do, whether it's public speaking or a new identity. When you step into that social, your, your brain is a social, um, it interacts socially and it changes in, in the social environment. But when you step into this role, you change. You literally change. So I said, what is it that I want to do? How would, how would I carry myself? So that's why I get really excited. I, I, I'm not sure if you followed the work of Cuddy up at Harvard with uh, power posing. Um, right. I've had, some questions, I've had some questions around that research. But some of the background for that research I really like. I really like the idea that uh, step into a position, you change. You don't just change your biology, not just your, your psychology. You change your biology. So her re- research, and I know there's been some debates around recently some of her work, but the research suggests that you not only decrease cortisol, you increase testosterone, and so that's why the alpha male, when he assumes the role of being the dominant male, he has changes in testosterone because our brain and our biology is related to a, a social milieu. So um, fake it till you make it. It's not really fake it till you make it. It's fake it till you become it. You literally become it. You step into the role. So whenever you take on a new role, whether it's a father or the leader or shift manager, you begin to become that person. You become part of that identity. The other thing that I push people to understand is that you're not static. You're not like a thing. You are a dynamic process. So whoever you are today is not who you'll be, which is great. So you can find ways towards health or ways towards suffering, but you are always changing and evolving. So I think about what is the life I want and how would I be and what would I look like and what would I do so I see it. And as I see it, I begin to step into these roles. And if you begin to just fake it, just fake it. So it's not really fake it. I call it behavioral activation where you step into the role. But then it changes you, and you begin to acquire the skills. And that's like anything. It requires the skills. So all educational systems require us to step into new roles. So, yeah, it changes you. So I'm going to add to that because I think, I think that's very important to step into it and experience it, and visualization is, is essential. And yet to add, to really augment in my mind and what I do with, with people to the visualization is to, is to put the feeling behind it. So, mm-hmm. so that not only are we seeing it, but we're feeling that, that yeah, this is, this is how I'm, this is me doing this particular work and I'm loving it and look at the response and look at how I feel it. 
so that that we're also we're working with the emotionality of it as well so there's there's that whole combination that that really brings us into yeah here we are it's true i i I'm, I'm, thanks for saying that because i when i do it for myself I literally and I, and I and I do it and I you know I haven't children I get to experiment with my kids so um, I get them to visualize what is it you want but I I close my eyes and I see myself and I so you don't really see yourself I can only see what's around me so I see people responding to me and then I walk I imagine myself going up to maybe I see my reflection in the mirror and I hear what people are saying to me and I imagine myself taking a deep breath how do you feel and I can feel the power coming into my chest and I feel strong and I feel excited and I feel exuberant so I create every possible sensory emotional domain possible right. to make it come right. alive to make it come alive and so i'm glad you said that because you yeah, just can't what, yeah 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 because seeing it isn't enough you've got to incorporate like you said all all of the you know the available senses so that it's real so that your mind like you said your mind doesn't distinguish between you know imagination and reality but but the more realistically you can create something in your mind because you're feeling it, you're, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, whatever it is, the more real it becomes. So so thank you for that because I think that's important. You, we were talking... Oh, no, no, no. I was going to clarify one other thing. I just came... I just started thinking about this a lot recently because sometimes I find I start to self-sabotage and I start to ask myself, why is it? And I start to wonder... What is the things in my life that I'm not doing that I need to change, that I need to make different in my life? So what do I have to let go of? What are the things that are holding me back? So it's not just that what you want. It's what are the things you have to change, whether it's a story, a relationship, a belief. What do I have to change now? So I've been asking myself not just the question about moving forward, but the process of letting go because life requires that now you just move forward. You have to release. So there's always that letting go. So I'm starting to ask those questions too, and I just started asking that for myself recently. And I think that's an important question that we need to, we need to start addressing. No, I think that's important too because we hold on to so much stuff that, like you were talking about, defines us. But but what if it's 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 an old view of us, or what if it just, it doesn't work anymore? We want to change it. So so since you've been working on it, do you have any insights that you can share with our listeners? Since I've been working on the letting go of this stuff, yeah. So oftentimes when we don't want to let go. It's rooted in a story, and oftentimes these stories are beliefs. Sometimes they're unconscious. But there may be a belief that you have to let go of, a belief that maybe you're not worthy to have a loving relationship. So you talk about how you want to be in a healthy, loving relationship, and you're maintaining, and you're stuck in a new relationship. It's because at some level you're still carrying around a belief that you're damaged, you're last. So you have to get really clear. What is the story? What is the belief that you still hold? So unearthing some of those things, and those are the sources of self-sabotage. So that's important too. So the visualization stuff is great. But the letting go is also important, too, because I try to create this idea of, of an anchor in the future where you anchor yourself so you don't feel like you're pushing to the future where you feel like you're being pulled. But sometimes we have anchors that are still holding us to the past. And we have to let go of those things, and we have to be ready to let go of those things. And the complex thing is sometimes the things that we're holding on to the past that we think is really negative serves a role that still serves us. Like, for instance, you may have an identity of being a victim. And being a victim would seem terribly negative, but it may also be positive, too. It may get you attention. It may protect your ego at some level because you don't have to put yourself out there. You don't have to be vulnerable and expose the belief that maybe you really don't think you're good enough to do these things. So sometimes things like even like depression, 
can serve a role in your life because it allows people to come around you. So I will push people to get really clear, what does this do? What does it prevent you from doing, and how does it serve you? Not everything that looks outwardly bad necessarily has just bad outcomes. Sometimes it has a positive role in your life, and so we have to get really clear about that stuff. So uh, people are complex, and there's so many layers to us. Right, and and I I agree with that because I've done some work like this too in terms of some people who've had accidents, who who get a a disease or whatever, and I'm not saying that that's a wonderful situation for anybody, but oftentimes, like you, my question is, how is it serving you? And they look, what do you mean, how is it serving me? I'm I'm, Mm. I'm suffering. But, yeah, what what is behind it, whether – and. You know, I had to do that in my own life years ago. I was, I had, I, I had an injury where I could not walk, and I, and I, and I, and I could not. I mean, I could walk. I could not sit for long periods of time. I couldn't drive a car or whatever. And I had to, and it was like, you know, I lost many, many months of my life, really. And I had to figure out. It seemed like horrific, and and what that led me. That it led me down a path of studying alternative health to help me heal myself and then be able to utilize it in the work that I do with other people. So for me, like this was maybe 30 years ago, but for me, that trauma or that, that story or whatever it was, was necessary for me to shift and to be able to create, recreate something in my life heal myself and go on to to choose different work that that embraced what I had learned from the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing that you were able to develop that so it became a point of real learning for you too. Well, I felt like I had no choice. And I and no offense to physicians, but when I was going to doctors at the time, I felt like they were dealing with just one part of my body, which which wasn't enough to take a look at it from a, a holistic perspective, which I needed to heal. And and I found the you know I found the keys to that. So thank you, Larry. I love what you do. It's so in sync with my thinking and my belief system. So bra and bravo for all of what you've done and how you've come out of your own trauma and your own challenges to really be able to change yourself and help other people. So how do people get a hold of you, find out more about you, your, everything that you're doing, and access your Sure. Yeah, so um, I have a website. Um, it's www.laurencejpeacockmd.com. And they can also follow me on Twitter at LarryPeacockMD. Um, so I'm always accessible. I have an email on my website, and uh, people can reach me. And uh, I'm going to have a book coming out into the year. I'm aiming, I'm aiming for around September, and I'm really wrestling with a lot of this stuff. And I'm using my life as a backdrop to, to give uh, some tools and insight to people and to recognize that life is amazing and we are truly dynamic, but we have to be able to clear away a lot of this stuff to really get to it. And physicians typically oftentimes we'll just look at the symptoms and not see the story. It reminds me, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Love's Executioner. This was back, uh, it must have been 20, 30 years ago, but Dr. Yalom, and this was back when I was a kid, I read this, um, talked about this woman who had obesity. And, you know, traditionally, most physicians would treat obesity as, you know, a medical problem. 
but he recognized and he discovered that her obesity was a defense against uh, feeling vulnerable. She had a sexual abuse history. So sometimes people coming in, and you've got to look at them and see the whole story, the whole complexity, and people are so amazing. And what looks like something on the outside may be something else. So her weight was a defense. And I really like to know people and really understand things. And I, and I do this because I had to figure out myself, and I'm still figuring out myself. And maybe that's something that all of us are still going to be spending the rest of our life doing is learning how to navigate this world in healthier ways. Well, I think that that's part of our life process, our life process, our journey. And thank you for being so pivotal in helping not only yourself, but in helping others work through their own traumas and be able to to recognize, like you said, the the incredible ability and the incredible gift that life can can be. However, you like you said, you got to get rid of some of the stuff and and really face your demons in a way that that can transform it. Larry Peacock, MD, you're incredible. Thanks so much. Let us know when your book comes out. We'll have you on again. Thank you, Joanne. I look forward to it, and I appreciate it. Today was fun. Me too. Thanks so much. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Next week, we're shifting gears, and we're having on March 1st, Karen Finocchio, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, right? One tough mother. She also has a story of, of challenge from childhood and also from raising four children. And again, it's, to me, it's about the resilience and the ability that we have as human beings to be able to move past that, to forge new worlds, new destinies for ourselves, to enrich our lives, and also to affect the lives of others. So remember that you have the power the neuroplasticity to change the situations that you don't like. And if you need help, there are many people, including Larry Peacock, myself, who can help you move through your trauma, move through to be able to create new beliefs. If you want to get a hold of me, you can go to Joanne, J-O-A-N-N-E, at D-R, Joanne white w-h-i-t-e.com joanne at drjoannewhite.com let us know your thoughts thank you so much for being you and thanks for tuning in to power your life have a blessed day wherever you are you've been listening to the power your life radio show with host and author dr joanne white Listen often and spread the word about the Upbeat Show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.